You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining me today. My special guest today is attorney, horse trainer, and now author, Mitchell Bornstein. And we're going to be excited to talk to Mitchell about his book, Last Chance Mustang. The story of one horse, one horseman, and one final shot at redemption. So great title, great subtitle. So we're going to be excited to hear all about his uh, how an attorney becomes a uh, horse trainer and then becomes an author. So it's going to be exciting. So everybody hang tight. We're going to come back right after these commercial breaks. You're listening to Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Hey everybody, this is Tim Link, the host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Got some exciting news for you here today. My audiobook is now available. Wagging Tells, Every Animal Has a Tell is now available in audiobook form through audible.com, amazon.com, and iTunes. It's a collection of 32 conversations I've had with the animals. It's a fun, interesting, heartfelt book that's suitable for all age groups. So everybody pick up a copy of the audiobook, Wagging Tells, Every Animal Has a Tell. You'll be glad you did. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link. And joining me now is author Mitchell Bornstein. Mitchell, welcome to the show. Oh, my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you here. Tell us a little bit about the book Last Chance Mustang. Sure. Uh, Last Chance Mustang chronicles the story of a, uh, a wild Mustang who I was brought in to gentle and train. He wasn't your typical wild Mustang. He had come out of the wild a little older than some of them. He was a stallion. He was supposedly gelded, but was not gelded. I'd be on his papers that said he was gelded. And unfortunately, he bounced around for several years with abusive owners. So by the time I came across him, he was a combustible mix of an older, untrained horse and an abused and beaten down horse. And he basically had learned to to match his owners or his captors with his own form of violence. So it was a interesting situation, to say the least. Now, how were you called in? Was it by the owners because they thought, wow, I just uh, adopted this, uh, this horse that should fit in perfectly with the rest of my horses? Or how did that all come about? Yeah, Samson actually ended up, it was, it was just a crazy set of circumstances. He, he actually was living on a farm and there was a fire at the farm and he was basically displaced in the bad, you know, right in the midst of the winter. And one of the neighbors had more or less said to the owner at the time, the Samson's owner, you know, I, I can lend a hand if you need a hand, you know, whatever. And next thing she knew, they were parading Samson down the street. If we call it that, he was, he was not able to be controlled. So it was a very somewhat physical confrontation. And he was more or less bumped at her, at her house because she had an empty barn. And both him and several other animals were actually left there. And I think that the interesting thing is you got to be careful what you wish for. She was certainly trying to do a good thing and be nice, but she had no idea that she was getting both a, a wild Mustang and an abused horse who pretty much hated anyone, as the book says, on two legs. So, and any animal on four legs. He had become, you know, very hateful. And then it came to me because I was working at a therapeutic riding center and this individual who had taken Samson in thought that she could maybe donate a horse that she had on her property. 
So she had said to me, can you come out and look at this horse for possible donation? And then when I was there, it said to me, and by the way, I have this horse that's locked up in a barn because he's so violent and crazy. You know, can you take a look at him and give me some thoughts on what we can do for him, if anything, or if he's too far gone or what your thoughts are? So that was sort of the beginning, the introduction to him. He was, he was caged, locked away in a stall. Yeah, when you hear those words, oh, by the way, you know you're in for something. Isn't that true? <laughs> you know, if I had a dime or even a, a nickel for every time I get the by the way, I'd be a, a very successfully wealthy horse trainer at this point. Yeah, exactly. by the way, it's definitely, you, you kind of cringe at, at that moment. Yeah, exactly, because you know something's going to drop. That's the real reason they're trying to contact you after all. <laughs> yeah. So we won't give away too much of the story, but obviously, great, great story, great, you know, how the uh, you turn the uh, the horse around and everything. How did this turn into a book? Was this something everybody just told you, hey, you got to write a book about this? Or was this something you wanted to get a message out on? How did that come about? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The seed had been planted over the years. I, I've been doing this for, for a couple of decades and worked with a lot of difficult horses. And, you know, every once in a while, someone will say, you know, I work with the horse and say, hey, this would make a great story. This would make a great book. And you just kind of shrug it off, you know, and say, oh, thank you. You know, I'm just glad that we could, you know, work it out. And then I came across Samson, and I dealt with some Mustangs in the past, and felt like the issue, certainly it's in the news on a, on a weekly, if not daily basis, but it doesn't really get the, the exposure it should get. It's often very loaded, you know, public relations type stuff that you see in the news. And when I saw Samson that first time, and then, and then on subsequent occasions, I knew that on the abuse end of the scale, not not even the wild horse end of the scale, that he was an anomaly. This was a horse that he wasn't cowering. He wasn't sort of broken in spirit. This was a horse who literally become kind of like a killing machine. You know, I'm going to put you down first. I'm not going to ask questions. I'm going to I'm going to hurt you before you hurt me. And he was a you know mishandled and untrained wild horse. And I saw it as an opportunity to sort of make a statement about abuse after dealing with abused horses for the last 20 years, and also make a statement about, you know, the cause of the wild horses and, and what's going on and with the roundups and, and the long-term holding facilities and the issue of slaughter, which keeps popping up and stuff like that. So after years of people saying you should write a book about this horse or that horse, when Samson came along, I don't know, it was just sort of that voice in my head said, this would be the horse. You know, you can sort of maybe do some good on multiple fronts with this story. So that was really the seed of everything right there was just uh, the hope and, and the thought that maybe Samson could represent something and do some good. Yeah. And so you just followed your heart, followed your instincts on that one, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, over the years, I've I worked with a lot of Samsons, none that far gone. But as I told people in the past, I, you know, I, I remember and I note, I jot notes down, but I actually had kept a diary with Samson. And that sort of told me that at the time I knew something was special because, you know, you spend several hours with him, working with him, drive all the way back. I was you know living at distance from him and then sit down and diary it, you know, in detail. And that diary subsequently became the book. So you have to, like anything in life, you have to go with your heart and go with your gut. And I really, Samson is such a complex character that not all the horses I've worked with over the years could really fill that bill. You know, they're, they're great horses, they're wonderful, but he, he's complex on so many levels. And there's so many lessons to be learned from him and his personality that it really just, when, you know, when that voice inside you says, you know, this is the horse and, you know, run with it, you run with it. And it really just worked out. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's a perfect segue into the, the question. You said there's so many lessons. Is it hard to pinpoint one lesson that you've learned from him, or is there one overwhelming one that you uh, have learned from uh, 
from uh, Samson or the uh, the story as a whole and working with them? Sure. I think that, you know, the, the paramount message that people can relate to the sort of universal message is that his story is a story of hope. And it's, it's not, you know, it's something that humans can relate to, obviously. And that is that you have an animal, it could be a person as well, but you have an animal that lived a terrible life for years. Now, do we know specifics? We don't know specifics per se. We know a little bit because that book goes into his previous owner, what we know about his previous owner. But you have the fact that you have an animal that was so tremendously afraid of people and so scarred. I mean, his body is, I think I say in the book, a walking crime scene. It's just bruises and, and scar tissue and scarring on the legs and from being roped and everything. And you have an animal that lived that way for six years. And, you know, when I came across him, I really thought he was done. I thought he was checked out. And he just, you know, figuratively sort of opened up the door just to crack and said, you know, I'm going to give this guy a chance. I'm not going to give anyone else a chance. I'm going to give this guy a chance. And I think that the universal message for that, for all of us, is that, you know, there's hope. There's hope for him. He had hope that I would maybe be different. I had hope that maybe he would change his ways. And you can change. You know, you can make a difference with people. You can, in my case, you know, I was able to make a difference with him. He certainly impacted me and taught me stuff. But I, I think that the sort of overriding message from the book and from Samson is that, you know, there's always hope. And if someone like Samson, whether it be a person or an animal, if, if someone can actually hold out hope after years of suffering or years of abuse, then we certainly all can. And I give them, I give them that credit. You know, it's always amazed me to this day. It's now 2015 and I came across him in late 2009. It's always amazed me that he even looked at me and said, okay, maybe, you know, maybe I'm going to give this guy a shot. Because after years of what he'd gone through, you think he would really just have been checked out. Yeah, and I think he had to follow his own heart and his own instinct, just like you did. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think we talk about that first encounter, the first couple of encounters, and there's no question that you know you can turn an animal into a hateful, hated beast. But you know, we all have hearts, right? And we all have that sort of inner feeling. And I think that. Fortunately, you know, I tapped into that. And probably, you know, 20 years ago, I probably wouldn't have been as successful. You know, he probably would have dismissed me fairly quickly. And I think that having dealt with a lot of Samson's, although not that far gone as Samson, I think that I was able to sort of connect with him on a level that was non-threatening. And that gave him, and you know, horses are very sociable creatures. So it's not easy to quell that desire, you know, for social interaction. So somewhere in his being was that desire. But I also think it was sort of that we sort of read each other and he was like, okay, you know, I can kill this guy if I want, but maybe I don't want to. There you go. There you go. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll uh, come back and continue our conversation with uh, Mitch Morstein in his book, Last Chance Mustang, the story of one horse, one horseman, and one final shot at redemption. So everybody hang tight. You're listening to Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Amazing Pet Expos is coming to a city near you. Admission is always free and your pet is welcome. Shopping, adoptions, free nail trims, discounted shots and microchipping, agility, a pet costume contest, and much more. Plus, meet the guys from Animal Planet's hit TV series Tank and Pit Boss online at AmazingPetExpos.com. Bring your pets to the Pet Expo! 
Calling all pet product manufacturers and pet experts. Let the public relations and marketing professionals at Whitegate PR get you featured in the news. I'm Dana Humphrey at Whitegate PR, and we have been specializing in pet product PR for over 10 years and can get your brand featured in the media from TV to radio to print to blogs. You can find out more at www.whitegatepr.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. The show's Tim Link, and I'm here with Mitch Bornstein. Talk to him about his book, Last Chance Mustang. Now, Mitch, I said at the uh, intro that uh, you're an attorney, a horse trainer, and an author. It almost sounds like a bad joke getting ready to start. <laughs> a, a, a very bad joke. <laughs> Definitely. There's no question. People are probably, you know, their heads are spinning around like, what, what? Exactly, exactly. So how does uh, someone who is an attorney become actually a very uh, well-known and respected uh, horse trainer and uh, and obviously then now an author? I think it's really circumstances. I, I think that I was in my teens and I, I started riding horses and certainly was not a trainer at that point, but there was a horse that I came across that was going to be dispatched unceremoniously, just you know, literally shot for being mm-hmm. difficult and combative. And I just, you know, I guess opened my big mouth and said, you know, give me a chance with it. Uh, let me, you know, try and fix what the problems were and was able to fix it. I still don't know how at that point. I probably did not have much to go on as far as knowledge and experience. But And then slowly but surely, you know, people start to call you up and bump into you and say, hey, you know, my horse is doing this, my horse is doing that. And you start to sort of pick up with it and run with it and help as many horses as you can. And then before you know it, you have a company and and you have clients and you have a reputation. And honestly, I'd probably say if I hadn't built a reputation, I probably would have not pursued it. But the fact is that every time school or grad school or stuff got in the way and I would say, you know, this just isn't, you know, this isn't the way to go, someone would call with a great story, you know, and it's the same type of Samson connection, you know, oh, you got to come out, you got to look at this, you know, I got one thing and then by the way, I've got another thing, you know, and (laughs) those always piqued my interest. So every time I did think about, gee, you know, I got to study for my LSAT, do I got to do this, I got to do that, someone already showed up with a great story and I guess it was a passion, it was a passion that kept alive. And then next thing you know, you're an author. You know, you you pitch an idea to the publishers, and amazingly, a you know publisher like St. Martin's Press picks up the book almost immediately and makes an offer. And next thing you know, you have a book and a and a horse and a story out there. So uh, it just kind of you follow how the cards go. I guess. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's it because obviously you have a a skill set for this, you have a passion for this, and uh, obviously you have a heart connection. And uh, I think the as we mentioned before, the horses can definitely pick up on that. So you allow yourself to be somewhat, I would say, vulnerable to them, and they do the same, and it turns out great. Yeah, I think that you know, with the advent of the internet, it's amazing because pet owners, horse owners, can really get advice and help anywhere they you know they search. It's out there. And, uh, you know, you see a lot of things from trainers 
you know, giving advice and techniques. I think that the starting point for people, though, it's really how you do communicate with the animal. And that's not on some telepathic level. That's simply about, you know, you have to come to them with some form of empathy and some form of understanding. And I think in Samson's case, no one really tried that approach. I think that obviously there were issues to be dealt with in his case. He was very violent. He was aggressive and everything. But you still have to be empathetic and understanding. And I think that whether it's a dog or cat or a horse, I think that really gets you pretty far down the road of the beginning process of just sort of asking yourself, what are they going through? What are their, what's their thought process? What has their life been like? So I think that, you know, whether it's an animal that's a thousand pounds or an animal that's five pounds, I, I really think that's a really good approach. And I'm not meaning to cut off people who sell books and, and the videos and everything like that, but I really do think that it's how you approach the animal and the message you send. And I think they get it when you do it the proper way. Yeah, I would agree with that totally. So now uh, in writing the book, putting the book together, what, how easy was it for you? How challenging was it for you? What uh, new uh, things popped in you had no idea was going to happen? You know, it's interesting. I think everyone hears these stories from authors, how they sit at the computer and stared at the screen. And I wish I could tell that story because I could, you know, make it into a big, you know, drama. But it really, it didn't go like that. It really just, it came from the heart. The book took one year to complete the research that's in there as far as the history of horses, the history of the BLM, all the statistics that are in the book. So the research end took the first year. The writing end took a second year. And the book was written literally like because of both training jobs and working as an attorney. The book was written from like 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. every night over the course of the year. And there was no outline, no rough draft. I just literally looked at the diary and sat down and, and wrote it. So I wish I could say, you know, I stared at the screen and typed a word and then typed another word two hours later. It didn't really go like that. I think that, and that again goes to, it's a, it has to be a passion. I think that certainly people can write books that, that come from a sort of academic angle or, or stuff like that, but anything that you're passionate about is probably going to come easy. So there's really no real drama that I could tell about writing the book. I can say as far as lessons learned that it's a very competitive <laughs> industry. Uh, once you finish the book, you're then competing to get an agent and you're competing certainly to find a publisher. And now with self-publishing, a lot of people go that route because they don't want to deal with the headaches or you can keep costs down and probably be fairly profitable at it. So I loved every minute of writing this book. It's sort of, I was able to relive my time in the beginning with him and it was literally a joy to write it. Once you write the book, then you deal like with any other business of, you know, okay, where's this going to go? You know, who would I like to have the book? Who is going to do the book justice? So it's like anything else. You start to look at more of the business decisions and, and stuff like that. But it was great. I have never, it's not like I worked at a newspaper in college or high school or, or wrote professionally in the day since. It was just a, a crazy fluke thing. And amazingly, there were publishers out there and ultimately St. Martin's Press who, who was willing to take a gamble on someone who's never published the word a day in his life. So it, it worked out and uh, it was a fun experience. Yeah, great. And it was a great book, great book. And you could tell you and you write it from your experience, write it from your passion, and uh, it does flow, and, and the book flows very, very well. So congratulations on it. Oh, thank you. Now, when, uh, when everybody picks up a copy of Last Chance Mustang and they read the book, what would be the one thing they would, you would want them to walk away with? I think that, you know, a lot of thought went into the book as far as how things were going to be structured. Samson's story sort of speaks to itself. But there's other stories in there as well and, and other messages. So, you know, my hope would be that people would walk away maybe with an understanding of the evils of abuse, whether it's, you know, beating up a dog or kicking a cat or certainly abusing a horse, that you're not going to get results doing that. So I think there's a message in the book that's universal for 
all animals and pets and that is abuse is not going to get you control. It's not going to get you respect. I also hope that people walk away at least with the issue of wild horses on their brain, you know, on their mind somewhere. The book does not editorialize, I think. I think that the book is very careful to sort of just present statistics and facts and the story and the history of, of our wild herds. And then I hope that the readers go and research and look on the Internet and look at what's going on right now, you know, with the roundups and with the holding facilities and with threats of sterilization and zeroing out herds. And they make up their own mind and they take action how they see fit. So I'm not here to preach to people or to editorialize, but I really hope that they walk away and say, you know, we're losing our wild horses, we're losing our wild herd, and we need to do something about it. So those are the those are the takeaways, and then obviously, like I said earlier, the takeaway of hope and never close the door on a person or an animal, and never think that they've closed the door. So those are really the things that I hope that people take away, and it's been very gratifying for me because I've received lots and lots of messages through social media from people who have indicated these things. Some people sent me messages and said, you know, I. If I could do it again, I realized that maybe I, I wasn't abusive, but I was a maybe was maybe not so understanding with my horse when I broke it and trained it. And I just got an email the other day from someone who said that they, they gave the book to their 13-year-old daughter so that she could maybe have a good understanding of how she should properly handle her horse. So those are the takeaways that, you know, make it all worthwhile, all the long hours and the work and, and the broken bones and such <laughs> received by Sam. <laughs> Yes, very good. And great messages. That's great messages. I'm sure everybody will walk away with uh, with all those once they read the book, Last Chance Mustang. Mitch, tell us where people can find out more about the book and all your happenings and find out more about you. Sure. The book is available all the main retailers. And you can connect with me on Facebook on the Last Chance Mustang page. And we encourage all of our readers to, as they've been doing, to give us updates as they're reading the book and let us know what they think. And we try to share any information that's out there about horses, about any instances of any type of abuse, about things that are going on with the wild horse community and with roundups, and as well with other other type of informative articles about pets or animals and stuff like that. So it's a general sort of forum that we host on Facebook for people to, to follow about the horses and animals and stuff like that. Sounds great. Sounds great. Well, everybody go out and pick up a copy of Last Chance Mustang by Mitchell Bornstein, uh, the story of one horse, one horseman, and one final shot at redemption. Follow him on Facebook and, uh, yeah, learn a lot, do your part, and uh, it's just a fantastic story, Mitch. I appreciate everything you're doing, and uh, keep up the good work. Oh, thank you, Tim. We appreciate the time. Right. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I'd also like to thank our sponsors and producers for making the show possible. To find out more about me, Tim Link, and other guests I've interviewed on the Animal Rights Show, you can go to Pet Life Radio. It's PetLifeRadio.com. Click on the Animal Rights icon and download all the wonderful episodes. And while you're there, check out all the other great shows and hosts on Pet Life Radio. It's PetLifeRadio.com. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for this show, please email me. You can email me at tim at petliferadio.com. And I'll be glad to answer your questions, uh, entertain your comments, and bring on the people you want to hear from most. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Share it in a blog, an article, or in a book. And who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.